This is the Prepared Mindset Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Austin, and I have another killer episode for you guys this week, as I am joined by Mitch of Livagonic and Bear Solutions. Uh, Mitch is a former Air Force veteran, SEER specialist, and really is an expert in a lot of survival strategies, survival skills, survival tactics. What a lot of people, I think, will incorrectly tie these things into, uh, you know, bushcraft and field crafting. Those are a part of, of the overall topic here of survival skills and a piece of what Mitch and I get into our discussion. Super cool guy. Have an absolute blast talking with him. He actually picks up on all my movie references. Uh, just, just a, a absolute killer conversation. Really, really smart dude. And I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun with this one. Uh, so I am not going to waste a ton of time, uh, you know, dawdling here in the intro. I want to make sure that we get through our ad space so you guys can get over to my conversation uh, with Mitch. Got to say thank you to the sponsors. First up is. Active Carry. Guys, head over to activecarrytech.com. Pick up your Blazer IFAC, your Gamma Med Kit, your Guardian Ankle Kit. They have a custom kit builder option if you still can't find what you're looking for in any of their pre-built offerings. And guys, use discount code PMP10 to save 10% off your order. Even if it's just buying a couple of essential pieces, a couple more tourniquets, pressure wraps, chest seals, some more gauze. Maybe you're just buying some of those component pieces there to make the setup that you already have more robust, more capable. PMP10 saves you 10% all of it. ActiveCarryTech.com. Great company. Bill and his team doing all kinds of good work. They have everything you guys need. Head over check them out. Make sure that the next time you guys stop at a, you know, you spot a car wreck, God forbid you have to deploy your firearm. You have the tools to respond accordingly. ActiveCarryTech.com. Also have to say thank you to LARPLabs.com. Guys, LARP Labs is a company designing custom computer cut vinyl wraps, 3M vinyl, tough as hell to go on your optics, your handheld lights, your PVS 14. And this, this stuff, it doesn't leave that sticky, crappy residue. You know, it's not going to peel off in a couple weeks. This is rated to be out in the elements for up to three years. When you peel it off, no sticky residue, no problem. Peel it off, apply the next layer. If you're one of those people, right, you want to paint your rifle, but you're worried about voiding a warranty. You're worried about ruining your light, your laser, right, your optic, any of those things. The vinyls from LARPLabs.com are absolutely outstanding, allow you to try different colors and patterns. They even set up discount code Prepared Mindset to save 10% off of your order. They're coming out with all kinds of patterns, colors, everything you guys need, coming out with new stuff every week, every couple weeks here. So stay tuned, check the website don't see what you're looking for, go ahead and reach out to them. There's a good chance that John and team can get you taken care of or may already have it in the works and you might see it in a couple days or a couple weeks. Super cool company. Very, very excited we get to work with them. Again, discount code prepared mindset saves you 10% off your order. And lastly, have to say thank you to 100 Concepts. Guys, if you haven't heard of 100 Concepts, you should definitely head over to 100concepts.com and check out what Jonah and Garrett and the team are working on. I think everybody knows them for their light caps. Innovative design, very simple, using very simple pieces, parts, resources to make a very, very effective solution for a common camouflage problem 
that we run into, and that is reducing reflection. We even talk about that in our conversation with Mitch in this week's episode. They address that issue very well with their with their light caps. People started reaching out, hey, can you make this bigger? I want to use it on my scope. So then, bang, there goes their scope cap idea. They have all kinds of really innovative ideas, really great concepts, super, super happy to work with them and have their support here at Prepared Mindset. Again, head over to 100concepts.com, check out all the cool stuff the team's working on. They're rolling out new products all the time. Stay tuned, see what they got going on, and pick you up some gear. But, all right, that's what I got, you guys. Again, my guest this week is Mitch of Bear Solutions. He is also a part owner of Agonic LLC awesome company with drew estel of bear solutions a lot of you guys know we had we had drew on about a year ago agonic's doing some really cool things with their concealed carry belts they rolled out a a pant last year that we talked briefly on in in this uh discussion as well uh but really really cool guy super super stoked to get to have mitch on the episode i think you guys are going to dig this one i'm going to get you on over to it right about now hey mitch welcome to the podcast man Hey, thanks, Austin, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that uh, what you do in your space in the community is something that um, a lot of people, this is probably my fault, a lot of people expect me to talk more about, and uh, we I mean, don't. It's kind of part of, or associated with the name, you know, prepared, but. Yeah, yeah, mistakes were made. Uh, I'll own that. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, you know, we get hung up on the firearm stuff, and it's cool, and that, and it actually does kind of play into what we're going to talk about here, Absolutely. right? Um, but and and to that point, um, let's just start there. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and talk sure. a little bit about you know you? Yeah. So uh, I'm Mitch. Uh, I mean, you already introduced me by name, but uh, so background: I was a Air Force. Uh, enlisted member did five years as a weapon systems mechanic for fighter aircraft and then decided hey it doesn't pay really good outside in the civilian world to only have a career field focusing on bombs missiles and bullets so i decided to transition and uh retrain to be a seer specialist for the air force for the last seven years oh wow and that was just like a one day kind of you know, I feel like maybe it, I should know more than how to work on, on bombs. Yeah, it, that and uh, at my first duty station, I uh, ran into one of the two SEER guys that we had in country uh, at the Chow Hall. And they're like, hey, we need some guys to play Op 4. I was like, what is Op 4? You know, young <laughs> E2 at that point. I was yeah. like, what is this stuff? He was like, oh, you get to come to the woods with us and hunt pilots. I was like, what? You mean those jerks that have been making me work 12 hour shifts for like the last like yeah, that's three the months one. straight? Yeah. It's like, yeah, those ones. You get to hunt them riding ATVs through the woods. I was like, this is a job? Sign me up. Where do I sign? <laughs> exactly. So it, it was pretty quick after I was like, I need to do this. Um, but it took a long time for me to end up actually putting in my package to retrain and go do that. Yeah. So was it a, I mean, did you have a bunch of trouble with that? Just, I know the military Uh, can be kind of weird. A little bit. Yeah. um, They they had some weird regulations where it was like, hey, you can't do this until you've hit your half year mark and your initial enlistment. I was like, okay, well, I was young and dumb, needed the money. So I signed up for six years. So I have to be in for three before I can put the package in. Okay. I'll be back in the States by then. 
Uh, so I got stateside, started to fill out my package, and I was trying to get myself physically set up for it because I used to wear glasses. And uh, they were like, your eyesight needs to be oh so good. Uh, you can wear glasses, but you can't wear contacts uh, for this job. It's just the field work and everything else that goes in, they don't permit us to wear contacts. So I was originally on a list to get uh, PRK surgery. And then they denied me a slot for it because I wasn't a flyer. And I was just a maintenance guy. So they're like, yeah, you're not a high enough priority. So we're not going to move you onto the, the, the list to go get the surgery done. So I was said, screw it. I'll take my own money and went and did it myself. And they almost, yeah, I, I paid it out of pocket and had the surgery done. And then my next uh, annual physical, it's on like a little checklist. And again, being stupid, it was like, have you had any previous surgeries in the last year? I was like, yeah, I had PRK. And they're like, what? what do you mean you had PRK? I was like, yeah, I, I went and paid and had PRK. So I can see now, look at that. Isn't that cool? And they're like, we're going to have to med board you out of the military. <laughs> it was an unauthorized surgery done at my expense to government property. So they were looking at initially removing me from military service for improving my eyesight to serve the country better. It was absolutely bonkers. So that put me back about another year and some change from even submitting my package to retrain and yeah it, it was a huge you know, cluster <laughs> as somebody who is currently going to trying to change roles in my in my day job i thought i had it bad but this is oh, uh, yeah. it was it was quite the ordeal <laughs> just to get my package in just the ridiculousness that like oh, i can see real good now like well we're gonna punish you for it so <laughs> yeah. hope it was worth it yeah uh so okay so you 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 made it through that hellacious ordeal of, <laughs> of paperwork and hell. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so how, I'm sorry, how long were you in the SEER specialist role? Uh, seven years. So I went over and retrained in 2015 and I just got out a year ago this month. Oh, wow. So getting into the SEER piece of this, I know you can't talk about a lot of it, but for people that have no idea, maybe they haven't, I learned about Seer very accurately from the movie G.I. Jane when I was there a child. You go. Hey, you know, that's spot on, dude. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've been definitely told uh, that there are some conflict, conflicting reports between that movie and what they can and can't do in training. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, don't they, I think they break a guy's leg or something and then like, <laughs> like step on it or something in the middle of training to get him to like break or something. I'm like, I remember looking at my dad. I'm like 11 years old. Right? I'm like, oh my God, this is horrific. Are those bad guys? They're like, well, they're just pretending. I'm like, that doesn't look like pretend, dad. His leg's really broken. You can see <laughs> the bone, you know? Um, oh, yeah. But can you, at a high level, maybe just explain for our listeners who may not know what what SEER is? Sure. So uh, SEER is an acronym as the military loves their acronyms for absolutely freaking everything. And it stands for uh, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. So we were supposed to be specialists in all things survival in every biome on the planet, uh, evading in those different biomes from enemy capture for down aircraft and all those other aircrew members or uh, special operations guys and all that other sort of stuff. Uh, resistance training, which would be uh, like what you were talking about, dealing with being a captive either inside of a hostage detention facility or by a foreign government entity or anything in between. Uh, and then 
the escape portion, how to get out of all those different bad situations and then get back home safely. So our job was to be able to take anybody off the streets from wherever they grew up in and whatever their background was and give them the principles that would allow them to do all those things and then get back home safe. So, and, and so I imagine, right. Did maybe I'm, and maybe I'm wrong. Did you have to go through it yourself before you oh, got yeah. to so it? Yeah. We had to do it multiple times and longer. So like the initial uh, air force seer program for like just standard air crew and everything is about 14 days, uh, including like academics, which is death by PowerPoint and little videos and yeah. stuff like that uh, mixed with like hands-on training lessons. And like, here's how you do all these other stuff, like tying knots and uh, identification of how to read different maps and navigation principles and things like that. And then uh, they do a stint out in the woods in the field for a couple of days and then they come back and then they do the whole resistance training portion of it and all of it kind of communicates to each other in a giant overarching like role-playing scenario so like the longest time when i was working there uh it became kind of an ongoing joke that we were professional larpers like, we, we were role players for yeah. a living for the military like i had to put become a different person every other day it was like no this is me now today i am a larper by trade yeah I mean, that's kind of like, that's gotta be kind of awesome though. I mean, for some of it, it might be weird a little bit, but at the same time, like what you're doing is it's pretty fun stuff. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, there's not many people that can go to work every single day and be like, why do you not wear a uniform anymore? Like ever and always have five o'clock shadow and covered in tattoos and your life consists of working out an ungodly amount during the like days that you're not actually at work and just eating food. And then you just come back randomly at yep. other times from other places. It's, it was a weird job to be in. It was like being in the military, but not being in the military. So is that, does, does that technically fall under like special operations umbrella? Be, it's with some of that. It's been questionable for years. So the, the SEER program for the Air Force has been attached to the guardian angel weapon system, which included uh, PJs and uh, combat oh. rescue officers for a long time. They considered us underneath that same uh, guardian angel weapon system, but it's been shifting over the years. And when they get rid of the guardian angel weapon system, they're like, do these seer guys which are in essence teachers and like actors now become part of special operations command or mm -hmm. how is that going to work so honestly i left right as all that was happening i was like hey guys bye have a good time i'm uh i'm gonna go off and do my own thing now have yeah, fun figuring that out right so but i mean so the skills that that play into all of that now getting out of the military today what are you what are you doing with that now because i know there's there's more to that going on as well yeah so um what i'm doing with that now uh kind of started back then so when i was a seer guy teaching survival training in the wilderness and all that sort of stuff um i was actually working with mike jones uh most people know him as good old gt on youtube yep i was gonna yeah. ask i didn't know if that'd be appropriate to ask but oh my god eh, i don't oh care anthem <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Uh, so about it. He he and I, we used to work together a lot. Um, I was actually his initial videographer for when the YouTube channel started picking up pace and everything else like that. So I used to be 
his first actual dedicated camera guy um but through that we did a lot of shooting that's when i finally got back into firearms training and all that sort of stuff again and uh it happened by a chance of fate that while we were doing all that uh another individual was up in spokane washington where we were living at the time and had his vehicle broken into and his gun belt stolen right before he was going to teach a pistol one class. Oh no. And he was like, I still have my pistol, but I don't have a belt and I don't have anything that's going to save me right now. So he called up Mike and then he said, Hey, I'm going to send you over to Mitch. Uh, Mitch runs the same pistol that you have. He has the same light on it. It should be able to run if you just borrow his belt. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden I get a text message saying, Hey, there's a guy coming to your house. He needs to borrow your belt. Uh, he's teaching a class this weekend. Can you help him? I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So I opened the door and there's this war gnome on my front doorstep known as Drew Estelle. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, what, challenged, yeah. what the heck is going on here? And he's just, you know, his standard intense, like crazy, just made of granite dude. And I'm like, Holy crap why are you this doesn't make sense man but he he ends up borrowing uh my belt system for the weekend uh teaches the class and when he returns it he's like you really saved my ass on all this uh you get first seat in any of the classes that i have coming up in this area next time from then on and it started a relationship between drew and i and we became pretty good friends from then on took the class you know hung out a whole bunch afterwards uh, we started collaborating on a lot of things, uh, and then he asked me to start developing classes for Bear Solutions as well as far as the survival aspects go. So he brought me on to Bear Solutions first, uh, and we do a, uh, a class once a year right now over in Nashville for urban stuff. But uh, from there, he and I also started collaborating and started designing products and stuff like that. Uh, and that's where we started to bring life into Agonic, which uh, we're co-owners in. Which is awesome. Cause I, I, when I had drew on, I'm going to fuck this up. I think it was may, <laughs> I think it was may of last year. And I, at that point, I, I think the belt was just getting ready to come out or yeah. had just come out. Um, <clears throat> and then the pants came out too. And like the amount of, I don't even want to know, like the amount of effort and time and energy that I, I can only imagine go into designing. Like I think people assume like, Oh, it's just pants, man. Like what's the big deal. But then it's like, well, they're designed for a specific use. And then everybody complains yeah. like, you know, Oh, it's, it's like, well, it doesn't crotch, fit me you know, right. right. I was like, because yeah. you're not like every other person too, man. Like it's never going to fit everybody in this one way. We can do as much as we can for the average. Right. But yeah, you can yeah, only do it's, so much as a startup. Like there's not. There's oh not yeah. The amount of messages that we're getting the like, Hey, when are you going to get like the, the short guy, little person leg pants? And I was like, when we have the money to expand our sizing portfolio right now, or when are you going to finally accommodate us giants? And I was like, I wish we could right now, man. Well, uh, I will second the giants. I'm six, three and you know, finding the proper oh, yeah, like You're not going to fit in our stuff right now, man. Like no. I can tell you right away. <laughs> Yeah, I looked on the site. I was like, mm, no, not for me. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. We're still not there. Uh, we're still trying to grow and have enough funding in order to broaden 
some of our product lines and stuff yeah. like that. No, I mean, that's the way it goes. I mean, people don't realize it, it you, you definitely see those companies do that kind of stuff. I know we're, we're getting a little off topic, but no, <laughs> those good. guys that like, Hey, let's roll out 120 products. And then like two years later, they're like out of business in foreclosure yeah. ship bankruptcy, you know, selling off their, their children and their dogs to like cover their, their debts and everything. It's like, you can't, you can't do that. If you want a long-term sustainment, you got to be successful and do it the right way and be smart. Yep. And like, don't like effing oversell yourself because everybody's excited when you roll something out. Oh, Everyone's absolutely. excited, you know, yeah, and then they'll, they'll buy it for out. the first couple of months and then everybody disappears. Right. And it's, it, you know, especially if you're making a good product that lasts. So people aren't coming back and like, Hey, you know, um, I have to replace these pants and they're really awesome. You know, just as an example, it's like, no, these things are really, really durable. So I'm not going to come buy another pair for four, five years, whatever. I don't, yeah. I, I have no idea. And it's like, well, that's not a great business model for us. Well, you know, I mean, it yeah, is, but, it, but it's, it, it's cool, but yes. it's not one of those actual sustainable things as far as like business products go and everything. So, right. Yeah. Right. We, we've been playing around with some future products and ideas. Again, can't talk about those yet, but there's going to be other cool stuff that we've been in development for and trying to bring to fruition to get out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you got hooked up with Drew. Yep. You guys started putting together some of the, some of the curriculum for the, the survival. Uh, that's a very broad. Uh, it really <laughs> is. It gets into so many things. And you even mentioned, I was looking at it on the site earlier today, I actually still have it open my browser here is the, like the urban survival piece. Cause I think people kind of discount that when they look at, you know, uh, survival skills you know yeah. air quote survival skills here everyone thinks like bugging out uh i'm gonna start a fire with rubbing two sticks together and some good old-fashioned determination and uh i gotta have you know uh multi-cam or marpat or or whatever and they don't they don't look at it as a like an all-encompassing uh oh yeah topic you know it's, like the urban pizza is important too yeah, it's a, it's a very fluid in, environment because I know a lot of people hate the word dynamic, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's, oh, God forbid. it's yeah. yeah, it's overused, but it, it changes so fast, right? And I saw that initially um, at my initial duty station. So uh, for, for the first two years of my career, I was stationed in Japan up in the northern prefecture of uh, Misawa. So it's the northern tip of the main island of Japan. And uh, at that time, we experienced the earthquake and the tsunami. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I was actually underneath an F-16 with fully armed array on it that I just pulled all the safety pins off of for a little walk that about that they were supposed to do for a rehearsal drill that we were doing. And I just pulled all the pins on these live bombs and missiles. And then the earthquake hits and I see this uh, AIM-9LM come all the way down and like almost touch the ground right next to my head. I'm like, I'm in danger. <laughs> this is bad. Yeah, we should no, probably no. not be here right now. Um, I can't run fast enough if this blows up. Like it's not going to happen. Game over. Yeah. So um, I remember seeing that and then the, the devastation that happened afterwards as far as like the humanitarian relief efforts that took place, um, what was happening into the power grid, the water system, sewer system, all those different things and how it was just changing so drastically for a place that hadn't seen a natural catastrophe like that in a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
just dealing with that and having to see how the infrastructure changed and how you can't do some of the traditional uh, urban stuff that people would think of as like, hey, be a homeless guy, which to be honest was what we were taught as uh, seer guys for an urban survival situation. There was a huge portion of it of like knowing the rotation schedules of like restaurants and like which policy do they have? Are they supposed to throw out all the breads at the end of the day? Like, when is that? When do they close? When is the best time to scavenge and get this food? You know, stuff like that. And even going through it, that was what always stuck with me the most was, Hey, I should know these shops, but if the shops aren't open anymore, right? how, how do you still do that? So it's been an ongoing evolution that we've been trying to bring in of like, Hey, trying to find all these things to sustain yourself in those emergency situations, it, it can get pretty crazy. Like I also had friends dealing with the Katrina cleanup uh, around that time as well. And they're talking about the raids that were going on and uh, the rioting and the looting and all that sort of stuff. And they're like, personal security is a huge thing down there too. And how to deal with those uh, situations with the people dynamic in those environments. I mean, luckily for us in Japan, the culture of the people there very was different. just so generous. Like everybody wanted to help everybody else. So it, it was very easy to go out there and just bring people to you to help them and truly like make progress and rebuild stuff and be part of that effort of cleanup and getting everything back on track. Uh, whereas like the opposite seemed to be happening in some other parts where like they would show up to areas to try to help clean up and get shot at, you know, because they thought somebody was coming in to take some of their stuff or they were looting and they didn't want anybody catching them and they start taking shots at them, you know? So it's very, very different depending on the culture that you're going into when those situations are happening. The in with Katrina in regards to people shooting and things. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that's, I think that's more where people get the idea, uh, in an urban, you know, quote, urban survival is that it's, it's all gunfight oriented. And it's um, not, it, it shouldn't be. But then again, right. you, I mean, it's the same sort of concept of like, why do you carry a pistol? I don't want to have to use this, but I have it in case I need it. Right. So mm -hmm. it's the, the planning ahead for the worst case scenario, hoping for the best, and then just trying to mitigate everything in between. Right. And that's where we, we kind of intersect with some of the, the preparation pieces, which will hopefully then be augmented, right. By, uh, your skill sets from a, I'll, I'll use the word again, just a survival standpoint. Uh, but ideally, right. You have food stores, you understand, Hey, I can, you know, I got 15 pounds of rice, you know, because it yeah. never goes bad. And I got bottled water on the shelf and, you know, um, and it's and it's it's weird right and a lot of people think they can just buy like yeah i went to the surplus store and i got 80 mres i am good forever and it's not really how that works especially because you start looking at actual yeah. human nutrition for and how much it takes and yeah it's it's crazy and that's that's one of the things that i think it's always hilarious to me when people go, Oh, survival. And I was like, yeah, a huge thing is just making your body function still, mm -hmm. you know, uh, regardless of what the weather's doing, whether it's like, how do you layer your clothes properly? 
in order to avoid hypothermia or heat stroke and all that that lies in between uh, to how do you avoid dehydration? How do you uh, can change your diet in order to stay hydrated a little bit longer when you have less water mm -hmm. and like everything in between. And it's, it becomes way more complicated than a lot of people just yeah. go, Oh yeah, I'm just going to live off of what I have here. I was like, ah, maybe. Are you really you, though? You need a lot of water. Like water is, a huge thing just for making yeah. smart decisions. You're operating off the, the pretense that the, the water lines will not have broken or shut down or that the water will still be usable. Um, yeah. There's a lot of assumptions I think people make because we take things in this country, you know, luckily we have that luxury, right? We just take it for granted. Like, Hey, we all got running water here. Like no big deal. You know, everything's well, great. Unless you're like in the situation where Texas ran out of running water for, I don't remember how long that was. It was a couple of weeks and they didn't have running water because of the cold snap yes. that was coming through. Or, uh, I mean, I know all of our water lines went down in Japan after that earthquake for about a week and a half. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any. Uh, I don't remember how long Katrina was without water either. But like every time a disaster lot. happens, it's like, yeah, you don't, you don't have potable running water you don't have those natural like pillars of civilization that we think of, of like indoor plumbing you know you, so you have to figure it out well and then you you start talking about some of the the misconceptions with just the water piece too because people will buy like not one maybe two like a two pack of those life straws which are cool like they're they're they're, they're pretty awesome for, i'll, they I'll give them for what they were designed for they do great people. But people miss that those filters have like a limit, just like your Brita pitcher or whatever, like those filters are good for X amount of time, X amount of uses. So, I mean, yes, if you, if you're forecasting like, Hey, I'm going to need, like, I'm going to be out for like three days. I got one life straw or two, like, okay, that, that should be fine. You know? Um, I also really love that you find like the knockoff ones on Amazon that people for whatever reason will save like four yeah. bucks and buy those. And it's like, yeah. Um, so that's, uh, you're probably going to clock it the first time you try to use it, man. And like, maybe get a sip or two. And I mean, even honestly with like the, the real deal life straws, I've taken them out and depending on the, how thick the water source is that you're trying to get it from, mm -hmm. um, I've had it clog up before even getting through like a eight ounce bottle of water. Yikes. Yeah. That's like, a bad thing. That's, that's the other thing. Like a lot of people don't think about their water is, if you have to get like a dirty looking water source, those filters, the lifespan shrinks drastically on them. They yeah. clog up so much faster. So one, getting water, two, cleaning it, and then three, getting rid of the bacteria. It, it's a whole process that a lot of people don't think about. Because if you don't do that, dysentery is real. It will find you and it follows you forever. It's not fun. <laughs> Yeah, not fun. So is there is there like a from a is there a natural way of purifying water? Oh yeah. The, there's yeah. A, a way of creating like a, a three to five tier water filter system. Uh, and it usually can be done in a tower. I've seen guys like uh Adam over at Speared is he does it with buckets uh put inside of each other, which I was like, hey, that's pretty clever. It's using modern material to do like old school techniques, which yeah. is pretty genius. Um, but in essence, you you want like uh, layers of grass, uh, pea gravel, sand, uh, and then at the very bottom, uh, a charcoal 
base for it to go through. And then as everything's kind of filtering it through, uh, the process uh, removes a lot of the dirt from uh, skimming it off of the first layer, right? And then it moves on to the next layer and it's a little bit cleaner, a little bit cleaner at the final one. And then the charcoal actually stops some of the bacteria as it's going through. So there's, there is a process of doing it. Um, and those charcoal filters, it's the same thing that Brita filters have, you know, uh, yeah. it's just a manufactured man-made version of a charcoal filter, you know, so you can do the same thing, but using natural materials around you and either running it through like a t-shirt or, uh, we always told the pilots you could do it. We using these parts of your parachute or, uh, a whole bunch of like very porous materials, just holding it and letting water drip through it as you're going through. Yeah. And keeping in mind though, that that's like, where are you going to get all the water from? Yeah. If you and have a water source, that's cool. But water I mean, sources are great. Hang it out and be like, Hey, I'm going to dance for some rain now and get some purified water in, I don't know, like an hour or two here. Oddly can work. I'm just saying, I mean, it could work. <laughs> Maybe not the dancing part, but I mean, uh, collecting rainwater is a big one. Like, uh, showing people how to do a rain catch or modifying your shelter in the wilderness in order to funnel the rain directly into one location so that mm -hmm. you can collect that rainwater and then you don't have to go finding a water source. You can kind of clean it up a little bit faster uh, and have that ready to drink. Or uh, during the winter time, we would do snow generators or water generators from the snow. And it's like a big old basket that we would keep filling with snowpack. And then it's next to a fire. And as it melts down, it trips through this filtered bag into a container for us to collect all of our drinking water in. Well, and one of the other ones I'd seen or, or heard about, because I had a, a buddy who was a, a tack P uh, mm -hmm. for about six years. And I, and I know he went through Sierra at some point. And I think he told me about it. Like he, he dig a, uh, not a very deep hole, but a hole. Very right? well. And, yeah. Yep. And you uh, lay out like your, your, your tarp or canvas, wherever you have. And oh. like it'll help collect dew in the morning or something. Solar uh, still. And yeah. That one's great. It'll, it's, it's kind of nasty like, sometimes. Uh, but... You get like a uh, mouthful of water in the morning or something, yeah. but it's better than nothing. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. I guess My, if I was, I'd do it. Yeah. The most experience I had using one of those, we were doing uh desert survival training. Uh, so kind of going back to what you're saying uh, way before on like, well, you guys had to do more. Yeah, we did. So our survival training, we actually had to go to every biome on the planet and experience at least a week in each area, just surviving off of what was going on there. Which one's the worst? Uh, it's either got the tropics. Oh, really? I hated the tropics. It was so wet. I hate humidity, which is hilarious because I live in the South now and humidity is just a thing of life down here. And I despise the humidity. Um, it's just wet all the time. I hate being wet. It's it's gross. It's sticky. Eh, yeah, I don't like it. But uh, when we were doing desert survival training, we we were using uh, transpiration vegetation bags and uh, the solar stove, which is what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And because we didn't have any water to collect dew, or it was still, it was like 115 degrees during the day. God, man. And it's we're literally just staying inside of the sand dunes at this point and we're like there's literally no water anywhere to collect dew for this thing and how are we going to do it so we literally would pee on the edge of the solar still before covering it up and it would evaporate 
our urine from the sand, collect the dew from it on the outside and drop it down. And we would have a straw that goes into the cup that it was collecting all that dew in. And then we would go, all right, guys, have a sip. And I was like, I just drank pee water. This is nasty. Just mentally thinking about that. But I haven't had water in a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Probably some, yeah. At the moment, probably the best water you've ever had. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty it's, gross, but I people mean, people take it for granted, you know, I mean, I think, I, I think it's, it's overlooked, you know, and like, Oh, I got a case of water in my basement. I'll be good. Like, you know, or two, you'll cases. be good for about a week and some change depending <clears throat> on your family, depending on injuries. Cause you'll need more water. If you have open sores or injuries in order to help heal, yeah. like there's, there's a lot of things that take place in that and water, well, like, and, and we, cane. we look at, look at what happened two years ago. I don't want to say the word because then people get mad and flag the, the episodes <laughs> and stuff. But like, look at what we did oh to each you. other fighting over yeah. fucking toilet paper. Oh yeah, for real. It, you know, it was it, ridiculous. What you could make last like a month, right? People were like, I'm not going to, because I was one of those people. I learned almost the hard way. We wound up getting like a hot tip of which Costco like had some, had some TP in stock and my wife went and, and got some uh, as we were down to like our last three or four rolls. But uh, you, you know, people are like, yeah, I'll be fine. This only last two weeks. I'm not going to worry about it, you know? And then all of a sudden, like it doesn't just last those two weeks. And oh. then all of a sudden we have a breakdown in supply chain and <laughs> those basic necessities. Like, I mean, even bottled water it, after the yeah. first couple of weeks, people were starting to rush on that. The first, first couple of weeks were like a very strong, uh, example of of how weak the American people are, and I've talked about it on this podcast before, but and I don't know if maybe you experienced something like this, but I went out like the day that we all shut everything down. It was like March sixteenth or something. I I think yeah, it was um, on a Thursday because I was literally trying to get on a plane to fly to Nashville to teach a class, and oh yeah, then I got a notification. It's like, hey, you're not getting on a plane. I was like, I guess I'm not teaching this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm just going to go back home. But I remember going to the grocery store with my wife. It was weird because like work told everybody as I was like walking in the door, like, oh, if you're not here yet, just stay home and work from home. Okay, well, I'm already here. So I had a coworker. My car was in the shop. So I had a coworker drop me at like a local grocery store and met my wife there and like walking around to see people filling cards with Mountain Dew and Oreos. And oh, my God, the amount of bacon that people bought. I was like, do you really think you're going to eat all this bacon? Like they need and- those fatty goods, man. <laughs> well, you being walked to the frozen food section. Like there's bags of frozen peas, mixed veggies, all yeah. the canned goods were still on the shelf. The only crap people were taking was like, I mean, everybody was buying cases of beer and I ain't hating on that. Like I drank a lot during I did. I drank my <laughs> share for sure. Uh, but you know, you look at it and I'm like, I'm looking at my wife and that was even pre this podcast and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I like to have a good time too, but I'm not sure four packages of Oreos and three cases of Mountain Dew are really how we're going to make it through these 14 Essential days. supplies, man, for the standard American, right? If you're a 14 year old kid getting ready to binge Halo for the two weeks. Oh yeah, they need some code written Funyuns, man. I don't, well, that is a staple of my childhood, but I digress. <laughs> uh, and it just, it, it goes to show you people have like a fundamental misunderstanding of where our priorities lie in the event. And that wasn't even, I wouldn't even necessarily call that 
a full-fledged like disaster scenario. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, we we had a lot of problems. Like there was a lot going on for sure, but our infrastructure hadn't completely broken down. We didn't lose power. We didn't lose running water. We didn't lose electricity. Yes, medical services were stretched pretty thin, so I will check that one, but we still had pretty much everything else going on. And for the most people that were able-bodied, healthy adults, it was, you know, like, hey, you got sick. It That really sucked for a couple of weeks. And, yeah. you know, so when you look at those things, like, need to reprioritize some of these things. And God forbid we ever end up in one of these scenarios where you have to look at leaving your home, right? Things get to a point where you're out of food, you're out of water. How, how are you going to make it work? Exactly. And there's, most people don't think about that. And there, I think there is an awakening that's happened since that situation for a lot of people that are going like, Hey, um, we should probably figure this situation out so it doesn't happen again to us mm-hmm. and like actually know what we're doing yeah. maybe um and it's, it's funny because we always joked around that everything that we taught them survival wise in seer school was just common knowledge for every single human being on the planet like maybe a couple hundred years ago yeah no that's like, that's a good way to put that in perspective is it it really was it's like how do you make a fire um, you grab wood and you make a fire like everybody else does. Like this three-year-old kid knows how to make a fire, man. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? You know, and like, well, how do you butcher an animal? It was like, I tell the kid to go butcher the animal because he's been doing it since he was five. You know, and it, it's one of those things like people forget where their resources come from. They forget the basics of architecture and construction and principles of actual design and building they they forget how to take care of themselves and their own needs because well i I invested my career or my educational childhood and so on to learning this craft that may or may not be able to sustain you if you can't pay other people to do the work for you yeah yeah and it's it you start to see the chinks in the armor, so to speak, right. Really quickly. And how much we take a lot of these things for granted. Um, and, and just like you're saying, basic like structure, um, shelter, right. People Mm -hmm. don't understand like you can do a, and for like $10 at Harbor freight, you can get enough stuff that you can keep in the car with you or in your backpack or whatever. Like you need like a couple tarps and, and some bungee cords. Is it going to be great? probably not going to be miserable probably still but you might be dry still and that could i mean that could be really impactful and if you know how to be even you know more effective then you can be maybe a little bit more comfortable you know yeah it's it's one of those like uh if you're less knowledgeable and less trained you have to spend more money and get more gear because somebody that was smart and intelligent had to figure it all out for you and then they were able to make it right but if you increase your knowledge level in your skill and your training, you can go out into the backwoods with a, a bolt knife or just any fixed blade, and you can build yourself like a log cabin sort of mentality, you know, yeah. and you'll be dry, you'll be clean, you'll be happy, you'll have a nice warm fire raging, and you'll have like shelves and a kitchenette set up and everything else like that, just because you already, you learned how to do it. So it, it all depends on where you want to spend your money when it comes to like uh, a survival 
mindset. Do you want to buy gear that somebody has designed for you? Or do you want to spend money to educate yourself to do these things on your own? Yeah. And it's, and it starts out, I mean, pretty fundamentally too. I mean, as you could look at as simple as the kind of knife somebody carries, right? I think a lot of people, when they think, when they think preparedness, they think survival for a lot of good reasons, you know, they think of Swiss army knife or like a Leatherman, like a multi-tool and like, that's great. It's got a lot of like very helpful things in today's civilized world. Like you're, you may have some uses for a corkscrew out in the woods, but more than likely not like the toothpick isn't really going to help you. Maybe it makes more sense to have a fixed blade knife and something with like some durable steel that you're going to be able to baton with and really beat the shit out of and know that it's not going to break crack bend, yeah. uh, you know, cause that's, you know, everyone first thought, Oh, I'm, I bought a knife just like Rambo. Like, okay, please. Like, cool. So it's got the little tang that barely extends past the, uh, uh the hilt of the blade and it's going to snap the second that you baton anything with it. I mean, yeah. I love the concept, but it, uh, it was lacking in a couple areas of durability. Yeah, I mean, and and usually it's the the one that they sell for like seven dollars at Harbor oh, yeah. Freight. So you can get Which so much probably good some stuff there. cheap stainless steel and like yeah. OS four or OS eight yeah. or something. Just not good. <laughs> and it's fine. Like if you want to buy it just for funsies, like I'm oh, all about it. like fine. But it's not realistic. I mean, and I don't know. Do you have a recommendation on a good knife? Um, I have absolutely loved, uh, the SE Randall fours, the rat force. Um, they make phenomenal bushcraft knives. It's got a great drop tip to them. The steel is very strong and the lifetime warranty that they have on them is second to none that I've ever seen in the knife community. You can is that, literally, is that, SE knives in is that SE knives in general? Yeah, uh, their SE Perfect. knives, they all have a uh, lifetime warranty that if you snap it, break it, cut it in half in any way or mishap, you can send them the knife and they'll send you a new one. That is, that's, see, and people listening, that is a good investment in money. And if you think that it's a couple hundred dollar knife, I just got, and I know I put it on the list because it was a sub hundred dollar. My my parents got me an SE Azula 2 for oh, Christmas. Dude. And I wanted like a, like a little manageable sized yeah, there you go. See, yeah, you've got yeah. one. They're they're great. I haven't really gotten a ton of use out of it yet, but I know like last fall, um, we we did bonfires all the time, my wife and I, and I had a uh, I still have a Gerber strong arm, which is about a hundred dollar fixed blade. Um, I know some people are hit and miss on Gerber for some you know different reasons and stuff, but just a knife like that, some good thick stock, and then like a decent ferrule rod. Don't get the cheapest thing. Again, definitely don't buy the crappy fire starter from Harbor Freight. But a good ferrule rod and an and a fixed blade knife. You you know, as long as you got something ignitable, whether yeah, we used we started using pocket lint or uh, dryer lint. We would start saving it and then yeah. practice starting fires off that stuff. Um, it actually works really really well, and it's it something does. that you you have. I mean, you're doing home laundry. You have a, pleth- a plethora of of lint, and yes, it's kind of gross. I understand the premise, but just <laughs> shove it in a ziploc, and there you go. Like you're welcome. I think we did. We would shove it in like uh, again something you would usually throw away toilet paper rolls. Yeah. So then you have like these little fire starters, and you can just you know grab some small twigs and pile it up, get everything going. 
And it's super easy. Just practice here. Then you learn how to start a fire sort of based off of that, you know, and just work on it. Um, <clears throat> but that really wouldn't work with a pocket knife. I mean, it could, but if it, it's a full it order, can, but it's, it's difficult. You can't baton. So there's different ways of building a fire at that point. Um, can you not baton with it or should you just not? I just wouldn't because the, the weak point where it pivots yeah, uh, that's where it's going to break right on that uh, swivel. Uh, it's going to break every single time right there. Right. Um, but yeah, it, if you're going to baton things, highly recommend have a fixed blade knife that's full tang. Uh, yes. Otherwise, find other ways of doing it. Those other knives are fantastic for whittling and other little DIY projects that you have. Mm-hmm. Like I still take a Leatherman with me out to the woods all the time. Because the little knives are great. The file that's on my Leatherman that I bring out with me is great for sharpening my blades and rehoning yeah. them in the field without having to bring a whetstone. Um, Can't like open all, it. Yeah, yeah. Like there's so many uses on those things. Like uh, using the pliers to pull out splinters and other debris and stuff like that. Retightening paracord, things of that nature. Like there's a hundred different uses for them. But it, Batoning is not one of them for a multi tool. <laughs> yeah, the the knife in a Leatherman is is a very much just a utility blade. It's not uh, not what I consider. I think it's actually it's four forty C, so you know it's not like super. It's not gonna be super sharp, so you're not gonna be using it for yeah. butchering anything. And uh, it's just it's it's a basic knife. It's I guess that's putting it probably nicely. Yeah. Um, so, and then I guess kind of taking that a step further, if you were to pr- like, what are some basic things that people should be looking at if they wanted to start off buying some things like, I know we talked about like a life straw, we yeah. talked about, you know, tarps and stuff. Those are kind of basic and then knives, but what are some of the essential things that can really be impactful if you wanted to, you know, pack a bag for spending a week outside or a couple of days away from home? So the, the number one thing I would see is uh, how many people you're going to have with you. You know, um, if, are you just by yourself? Which, I mean, general purpose rules, you're not supposed to go alone. You know, not alone, Frodo, yep. never alone, that, that <laughs> whole thing. But you, you should always have a battle buddy with you, whether you're going to Mordor or whatever kind of hellacious landscape, right? Yeah. Um, and then when you're going through that, you have to think about what do you need first? So the average person, they can only survive for uh, about three days without water. Mm-hmm. So if you get lost out there, you either better have water with you or have at least something that can hold water. So I, I always say have like a Nalgene, a good quality, like actual Nalgene bottle because the knockoff ones that everybody makes. Cracks are easy. Yeah, they break, and uh, if you're going to purify your water using boiling, um, when you put hot water in that cheap Nalgene, it blows up. Like, they just don't last. Yeah. They, they don't do good. Um, Which is why people look, they have the tags on them that say, not dishwasher safe, and that's exactly yeah. why. I've, they I've melt will melt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, like, just don't do that. Um, but you, you need to have something to hold that water. Right. Then you needed something in order to purify that water uh, once you've collected and strained it. So usually uh, I'll bring like a uh, a little bottle of bleach or iodine 
and that's used for killing the, off the bacteria and the case of the bleach, uh, whereas the iodine, whether it's like the little tablets, like drink water purification, iodine tablets, or mm -hmm. uh, drops that you would have in a medical kit, yeah. um, the, the iodine actually coats all the bacteria and allows it to pass through your body without it affecting your system. Oh, well, that's convenient. Yeah. Uh, so you can't overdo it with the iodine, whereas with the bleach, if you do too much bleach, you have the same effect as if you uh, you didn't just use it at all. Up. Yeah. So oh, yeah. It's, it just runs straight through you, man. So um, there, there's a balance to be had. The difference is the iodine water tastes like dirt and the bleach water tastes like tap water. So you're like, hmm. Well... And it, it really comes into the ratios too of like knowing exactly how much is supposed to go in. So uh, another thing that I usually keep in with that is a cheat sheet. So I don't have to remember. Yeah, have it written yeah. down for me. Yeah, because it's, it's like memories the, are fickle. Yeah, like a capful will do like a gallon or something. Like the, I, I saw a video that I think Mike Glover did once. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll definitely remember that. I clearly no, don't you won't. remember. Nobody no, ever does, which is why it's important to have that stuff written down. Right. So having a notepad, a pen, or even better, a pencil, a crazy concept using a good old fashioned number two graphite pencil or a carpenter pencil is phenomenal because they're nearly indestructible. Uh, and then you'll always be able to write things down, take notes, progress, where you are, what's going on, inventory, all that sort of stuff is important for long-term stuff in emergencies. Um, but yeah, uh, those two, I usually keep on me. Um, when it comes to the bleach thing, it's a little iffy just because uh, it does actually expire. Bleach does? Surprisingly enough, man, uh, after you pop that initial cap on a bleach bottle, 30 days, it loses all its potency and it won't kill bacteria anymore. 30 days, that's it? 30 days, once you pop open a bottle. So like there's... getting chipped, man. Jeez. I know, right? <laughs> we, we learned that out by accident. Uh, <laughs> oh god we, we had some guys that were going out and using the same gallon jug that they bought like three years ago and they're like man i'm not feeling so good i was like are you been cleaning your water because like i've been using this bleach that i keep with me like all the time yeah i just bought a bunch of it i was like yeah bleach is good it kills everything they got dysentery uh and or beaver fever whatever you want to call it <laughs> beaver <And> fever yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it it was they never pooped right for the rest of their lives right so it, it was just one of those things like it affects their internal organs and everything else like that and uh they did a little bit more research as to why and apparently once you pop the cap it has a potency for 30 days before the oxygen mixes too much with it and then it no longer has its potency wow that's so, a good one no yeah, um, there is a company out there right now that I found that makes a solar charging bleach generator from table salt and water. Wow, okay. And it's uh, H2Go. Um, it's just a little thing smaller than a cell phone, uh, about the same size as like the old school, uh, I forget what the designator was, but the, the military IR strobes the signal strobes that they had out there, the big old green brick ones. It's about the same oh, size yeah. as that. They're like the size of like of uh, like a deodorant stick, a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's about that their, size. Yeah. Everyone puts on their helmets now because they, <clears throat> they're in the cloning and stuff. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Smaller now. Yeah. yeah a lot. <laughs> right. Um, 
when it's about the same size uh, and it you can take just standard table salt and a little bit of water and with the electricity inside of it, it actually will generate uh, bleach for you right then and there. And you can program it to the quantities of bleach needed for how much water you've collected. Well, that's handy. Yeah. So it that one, if I'm traveling like a good distance from the house, that's always in my backpack with me as well. You know, just take it with yeah, me that, just in case. Never know. Especially if it's that small, you know, like yeah. you got room for a stick of deodorant, you got room for that thing. It's like, yeah, you know, like gotta yeah. love technology. Yeah. And it even comes with like little test strips to test the potency of the bleach. So you can tell like, is this legit ready to go? All right, cool. It's giving me good positive, kind of like testing the water in a pool in the backyard type thing. Yep. You know how they have yep. little test strips, same sort of concept. And you're just testing the, uh, the chlorine level technically. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that. That's a, that's a game changer right there. Yeah. And hopefully not super expensive, but maybe worth the money. It, it's I, definitely I, worth the money if you want to, you know, actually keep the water inside of your body. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you put it that way, <laughs> it, it does start to, the, the value, uh, the value to dollar ratio. Yeah. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't stop going up. I think no, uh, it, it really doesn't. Cause I mean, yeah. once it starts the, you know, the flow of things, it doesn't really stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Getting into talking about survival skills and how this applies maybe to what I think a lot of people, when we say survival skills, the, the, what I'll say is like the prototypical idea. I think a lot of guys in the 2A space kind of have this concept of, uh, and I cringe when I say this because it's used wrong, really wrong all the time, but like recce uh, stuff and guys start to like loop all that together. And people who people who are in the know, they know like, well, it's, it's not a thing. Like, it's just a mission. But yeah. guys just assume that anything that involves living out, out off the grid away from your your cot or something um automatically yeah it equates to that um so as these two worlds kind of to meet with that what are some of the things that that become like the most like the most impactful uh because i know we start to see the trends drive a lot of the information that's put out there so like one of the things that's really popular now is camouflage and guys get into you know, this is why Marpat sucks. This is why, you know, uh, yeah. the, what's the, my buddy just fucking told me to whatever they made you guys wear in the air force. That was terrible for anything other oh, than the tiger stripe. Uh, no, the, the air force uh, tiger stripe one was terrible. not even that those are halfway decent looking the, the digital ones, like the weird, uh, digi- it, was digital. it was a digi tiger stripe that we had. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. It's like this weird it. sage green, type thing yeah. that blends in about as good as ACUs ever did on any couch at grandmother's like, house. What are you going to, what do you do with this? He's like, um, I'm pretty sure it was designed to help distort satellite images of runways. And uh, it's pretty much useless for anything else. Yeah. We were told it was sort of for the flight line. Like if you can just get into the gravel and light flat, nobody will see you because it's the <laughs> color of concrete and grass mixed together. I was like, thank you. Why am I wearing this reflective belt then? Yeah. And why would I go lay down on the gravel instead of taking cover? Like I never came to that. uh, Somebody, I don't think thought this through uh, all the way, but yeah, Yeah. you don't have a choice. 
even like getting into camouflage and everything else like that camouflage is literally just blending into your surroundings right that's a whole principle of it Mm-hmm. If you're wearing Marpat or AOR2 or multicam, whatever, and you're in a city environment, are you blending in? Absolutely no. not. Exactly. And that's that's where I think like a lot of people are trying to go like, oh, I need the best camel for the area. It's like that depends on where you are at what time. Dude, that's that drives so fast. Exactly. And it drives me fucking nuts because you'll get some of these people because it drives clicks and double taps and followers is like which you know it's the presumption it's the best camo yeah the presumption that you're going to be only applying these skills whatever to being out in the woods and guys get super bent out of shape about it and they want to fight and argue i'm like you know like 70 percent of the world lives in highly populated densely populated areas that are suburban so you know will your multi-cam plate carrier work well in the woods or your m81 whatever you know plate carrier tiger stripe you have that could be okay for what you're dealing with but understand that like the rest of us are rocking uh what do you call it like wolf gray in like yeah. a range green because it either blends in better it or it looks more professional because there's really not blending in when everything is concrete gray and fire engine red brick yeah and it's- to be fair I do own like all the different camos because, well, let's be honest, got to look good sometimes for the photos, right? But I would know I don't usually look good. So I try really hard (laughs) and fail, you know, but there's there's also the, the concept of like, even when I was hunting pilots who were trying to hide in the woods, they wear OD green flight suits. Yeah. And we were in the Pacific Northwest at the time and or in Japan or in Singapore and like some weird places, but it, they hide super well. I mean, it's not because of the camo it's because they follow the principles of concealment, not necessarily what they're wearing, but how to hide. So what that are, what really are those? Really Cause I've heard that, that phrase before. So the, the idea is that you don't want reflection, you know, um, what attracts people's attention, you know, because the whole idea is not to be noticed as far as camo goes. So you don't want somebody looking for you. So if you try to think of what draws your, your attention naturally, what's the fastest thing that grabs your attention? Like flashes of light, reflections, something that jumps out. Light sources are a huge thing. So we want to dull everything that you possibly can remove all reflective services that are on your person. So it doesn't cast any shine. Right. The next one is going to be, um, how light gathers so like you see people doing the whole face paint thing it can work if you do it right or you just look weird like it, doing it, it, like it, it really worked in in predator i think Arnold it really did successful. it really did and that yeah. he, i mean he was doing it for thermal stuff which is a whole nother level of camouflage that we're having to look at too right Facts. trying yeah. to change his heat signature to look like everything else around him too so the the idea is to become a flat shape that matches what's in front of you and behind you. So you disappear inside of the mid ground. Um, and a lot of that has to do with uh, utilizing the terrain appropriately, the, okay. uh, the micro terrain even, and then also the vegetation or other debris and everything else like that in order to mask your shape. 
because your yeah. shape also gives you away too. Well, right. Cause there's not, um, in nature, like straight lines don't really exist, that kind yep. of thing. Um, and to that point, right. You have to kind of try to help break up. So what are, what are the things that, I mean, I don't know if you, how deep you can get into any of it, but what are some of the things people can do with that? Because I think the overwhelming concern when a lot of people hear this kind of discussion, right. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, Oh, I need to, I need to go buy all new gear in Don't this, you know, anything. like in this, uh, camouflage, you know, and it's almost as bad a reaction, like the knee jerk to some of that when some, when people hear some of these discussions and they just don't know, right. Mm-hmm. As the people that get all fired up when you tell them that like M81 really isn't as good as they think it is. Yeah. And it's, like, you can't convince honestly, me. God's you cannot plan. buy enough gear to match all the environments. It's impossible to do. You just can't. Um, yeah. And I know guys that have spent fortunes on Cordura. Like they have rooms dedicated to it. Um, it's impossible. It's constantly changing. The environments are always changing. So you're always going to be chasing that next thing. If you're worried about that, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Like you have what you have. You're not going to stop everything in your life and your world to go and change your pants. Yeah, no. You know, it's like, oh, I'm wearing the wrong pants for the end of the world situation. Hold on, need to get my cry G4s or yeah. my Patagucci uh, combat pants on. You know, no, you're never going to be able to do that. It, no, it never ends up that way. You're probably going to be sitting on the toilet with your underwear around your ankles, squeezing out some, and <laughs> like the end of the world starts taking place. And you're like, oh, shoot, well, I better hurry this up. And yeah. you've probably got some sweatpants on or gym shorts, right? And you just have to figure it out from there and just do the best that you can. Um, like Gear's great. I love gear. It makes a lot of things easy, mm-hmm. but... So does just not being dumb in the areas that you need to learn. Yeah. And I think the more that people learn about this stuff, it, the more capable you'll, you'll be, especially like the, and maybe this is just my, this is just my perception because it, you know, Thanksgiving, I, I bought night vision. I got into that game for the, the first time and I'm learning it's just, it's, it's the same game, like different rules, you know, yeah. like camouflage, in terms of your pattern matters matters less, right? But yep. the material all of a sudden starts to matter more because of how it interacts under IR light. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just one of those things like you look at it and you're like, all right, I need to understand now um, this is all different. You have to like find that middle ground between the two if you're you're trying to to actually be effective, right? Yeah. And understanding and the that- cool thing about like both dealing with uh, the IR spectrum and night vision and camouflaging mm-hmm. in that, and even partially with thermal, um, using micro terrain, barriers, vegetation, all that sort of stuff, it still works and stops you from being spotted most of the time. So when you say when you say micro terrain, what are you talking yeah. about? So um, when we're looking at like topo maps and everything else like that, you have like the contours of the earth and there are large sure. features that are known all over the place, but they maps hardly ever have like these little mounds or these little trenches that might be on some people's properties or in the middle of the woods um, where you can still hide your entire body in that from a good distance away, nobody can see you. Okay. Yeah. So micro terrain like that or vegetation 
uh, in the ways of like just different shrubs that you can still see through that people can't see into um, flora, fauna, all that sort of stuff in order to help mask you. So if you can stay close with a pack of animals and kind of look around the same size and shape, depending on like the quality of thermal, you might just look like one of those other animals as well. Yeah. But I mean, like what, what's going to let you hang out that long? Like, so the biggest problem when it's dealing with like becoming one with the woods, right. Uh, <laughs> is our yeah. smell. Like we, we start smelling way too civilized in modern society. Like we get a specific smell that we're used to and all the other animals out in the woods, they know that. But once you spend enough time out there, I've literally like just walked right up to rabbits and deer and stuff like that out in the woods. And they can't That's smell me because I smell like them because I've been out there for so long. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I mean, they, I've, had, I've had, I've been able to walk up to deer before, but that was like a different type of thing. Like buddy's family's cabin, the animals know that there's no hunting there. So they just like yeah. come hang out and like, it's like hanging out. I'm like, hey man, you know, there's deer here. Oh yeah, they're fine. Like came up, like licked my hand. Yeah, they're just used to a lot like a dog. And you know, really, like they follow what they're paying attention to by their ears and everything. Lick my hand. I'm like, cool, buddy. Don't run into me now. Uh, and yeah. uh, like they all scatter when there's a car starts or something. But uh yeah, I mean the smell thing, that's uh smell is big. It it cues a lot of creatures to the presence of man or civilization rather you know so it it's gross but like not wearing deodorant all the time out in the mm -hmm. woods we don't need to bring it with you who do you need to look good for you know um again once you go to society maybe having a stick to freshen up and not offend everybody's nostrils when you walk into a room can be helpful yeah. um, but like if you're going to be out in the bush why well you, and also, you'll get used to your own stink and also, like, I, I know that it can cause as much as it can alert animals to you can also cause some adverse issues with attracting, in some instances, some wildlife. I know um, I had a family friend who was like a Boy Scout or Cub Scout leader and would go and he's big in the outdoors, like kayaking mm -hmm. goes on, you know, like multiple day rucks and everything. He's like, yeah, you don't you, you can't you can't ever wear deodorant. Like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, the bears will smell it. And then you really oh, have yeah. a problem. So they get into all your shit. I'm like, so what do you yeah. do? He's like, you just stink for a couple embrace of the stench man and oh, you just become God. one with it and like we would even when i stopped doing the the outdoor survival stuff and teaching the resistance side and they would come back from the woods to us dude mm -hmm. you could instantly tell when those students were arriving because you could smell them coming like it was just all oh, right as Lord. all get out it was nasty and you're like you guys need a <laughs> bath really bad but you're not getting one here. So you mean part of the resistance part wasn't like that thing in Super Troopers where you just hose them down for I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that seems pretty unpleasant, honestly. I don't I don't I'd, I'd be uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe it should be part of it. I don't know. Like, hey, you haven't showered in a day. Let me help you out with that. And like fire hose, like, ugh. Anyway. <laughs> um <clears throat> But yeah, so it all, it all comes into this overarching concept, you know, and um, I mean, really, I think some of that stuff is if, if, if people find their, at least we talk about smell and, and animals mm -hmm. and everything like that, that's, I mean, I'll make the assumption that you're, you're several days out at that right. point. You found yourself in a rather unfortunate 
you know, series of, uh, of circumstances. I think as I mean, I would hope anyways, you're looking at maybe just like a day or two to get from one safe spot to another safe location. Um, and like you said earlier, right. Usually it's not just you. So you have to kind of understand how, um, you know, your environment is working and especially, and I'm really intrigued, you know, mostly because I got up on the screen here, I'm looking at it, but the, this urban survival concept, because it's so far out of what's discussed, you know, like, again, everybody wants to talk about the woods and stuff, but, and, oh, I, I live in my town. I, I would be able to move around my town with no, no yeah. problems because I, I know where I'm going. I drive my car and, you know, but when things change, you know, can you talk more about the, like the urban piece of it really? I mean, sure. I'm just fascinated. Yeah. So, um, navigation becomes a huge issue, kind of like what you were talking about as far as like, I know the roads in my town and my city, and I know how to take these back roads, like the back of my hand. I've been running around since you were a kid. Right. Yeah. Um, some people are great at that and they have a good, like natural sense of direction. Other people, not so much. Right. So having a map, knowing how to use an actual map is What's that? A, I don't, what is a, exactly a map? it's that... it's like like a pirate used to use you know oh, yeah, yeah i've heard of those <laughs> find their way around but like actually learning how to do that is really crucial uh especially if you're trying to help other people as well because i mean if you're being selfish you're being an asshole right you should always want to help people around you as well until they prove to not need your help or not deserving of that help. So like being able to utilize those tools in order to one, identify where you are two, where resources could be or where you need to get to. And then three, how to use the terrain in order to get to those places safely, efficiently, uh, knowing how to read a map and navigate properly is a vital thing in urban environments we have grids already set up, right? You, you have your roads and everything else like that, that inside of the U.S. is really easy to use because most of the time they're all legitimately gridded grid. north, south, yeah. east, west, all over for like, mm. uh, miles and miles in bigger cities. Um, whereas like in some European cities or the further away you get from major uh, populated areas, the roads wind with the terrain more than they do stick with the grid. Um, so still knowing how to read that map can make it a lot easier for you to get from A to B, uh, as far as like traveling through, or even just printing off a map of your local area that you're going to be in, like whether you live there or not, because one of the largest things we saw during some of those disasters is those major land features, like the road names, some of the signs got knocked over during those disasters too. You couldn't see any of them. Or the topography of the area was changed entirely inside of the city landscape. So you can't just go, oh yeah, I'm going to go down this way for three blocks and then take a left. There's no more blocks, man. <laughs> That's a, I did not even think you, that that shifts your your perspective completely. Uh, yeah, so you, now you have to almost go becomes worthless, yeah. Yeah. Now you have to go off of like the hard topographical features of the area, as opposed to the man-made structures that you've been relying off of for years. Yeah. And it's, well, and then if further, I mean, if you, if you, it's not an area that, that you're familiar with, like, how do you even establish which directions North, you yeah. know? Like- so fun, fun little thing for doing North, South, East, West, right. It's, 
news. If you guys never noticed that before, that's how we got the the word news: north, east, west, south. Oh, okay. I had no idea. There's more. Um, so uh, a good watch uh, set up properly uh, for local time is going to be able to help you find north or south almost instantly, as long as you have the sun, right? Mm-hmm. So um, pretty much knowing your hour, whether you're in the northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere of the globe, because sorry, it's not flat, not sorry. Um <laughs> You can still, you can use those, uh, the hour hand and 12 o'clock and figure out where the sun is going to be at or with where the sun is and direct you to either the North Pole or South Pole. So in the Northern Hemisphere, you'll be finding the South southerly direction because the sun is rotating around the equator, right? Right. Um, So when you find, use the sun, it's in the Southern Hemisphere of the sky. So using the watch method, you'll be able to find your southern direction while you're in the northern hemisphere. If you're in the southern hemisphere, you're finding the northern direction because that's where the sun is rotating around. There's a lot of math that goes into it. Pretty much you, you in the northern hemisphere, you have the hour hand, point where the hour hand would be on your watch at the sun, bisect it with where noon is on the watch or would be on a watch if it's digital, halfway in between the south. Right. Right. Actually, right. I, I have heard about that before, and yep. it's like a rough way of being able to figure out, you know. Yeah, it could general directions. Um, the other one for like urban environments, if you can still see them and they're still around, is the satellite dishes. Oh. So the majority of communication satellites for the globe are located around the equator to maximize the coverage uh, around the planet. So all satellite dishes are pointed towards the equator. Oh, so that works kind of like that's the same principle we were talking about with the watch, but just looking at the dishes, you can figure yeah, out. Just walking around there. and you can see yeah. a satellite dish. And if you're up in the northern hemisphere, like us in the U.S., it's already pointing south. Yeah. Well, and it, it just it highlights that there's a benefits in still carrying and wearing an analog watch or like an automatic oh, yeah. or self winding. something 100%. like that. Yeah. You know, um, which I personally despise smart watches for a bunch of reasons, but that's one of them. Um, and even just understanding that you're not going to just be able to, you know, and, and this is why when people say, I'm just going to bug out to my, like here in Michigan, we call it up North. It's really just, it's Northern Michigan and everyone from other States looks at us like we're insane because <laughs> we're already pretty far North, but, uh, you so, know, so you're going to Canada. Out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I hope not. <laughs> Fuck that place. Uh, they don't like guns there. Um, but like, yeah, I'll just bug out, you know, to my, my family's cabin, three hours, four hours, you know, seven hours North of here. And it's like, okay, well, do you know where you're going? Well, I'll just take the road. Like, well, if you can't take the road. Well, I mean, I know which way is north. Like, do you really? Because there's true north. There's, you know, like magnetic north. And then there's the yeah. north you use your compass for that offsets. I, I, I figured it out. With, it it all depends on the declination of where you're located. So it, right. it changes constantly. Every single year, uh, your declination towards north changes. I think when I when I had done it with a buddy, we went to, to northern Michigan to uh, he was going to teach us some fundamental land nav stuff. And it was like 12 degrees or something. I was like, wow, that's actually that's steep. That's a lot. I was, I was quite surprised. That was also when I realized that the, the crappy $10 compass I got off Amazon, like when you when you folded it shut, the bezel would just spin. And I was like, I mean, you can reset it every time you open it. But I'm like, 
this kind of blows. So when I got yeah. home, the first, first fucking thing I did was order like a $60 Sunto that like that bezel, I mean, you got to work to turn that bitch, but then it's, it's completely covered and enclosed when you, when yep. you fold it up. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That's why this is expensive, and this is why good gear is worth it. You know, like oh, absolutely, super helpful, and uh, it was a very eye opening. I thought I'd just be like reading a map, and he's like, "Well, yeah, but here we go. We went across the yes, ramp, and era. no, because there's a whole lot of rabbit holes to deal with there. Oh, and and we, I, I forget. I think the buddy, the the friend we were with, whose family is part of the ranch up there, was like, yeah, you know. I've, uh, you know, up here hunting, I've lost a lot of deer that run into the swamp. I'd really like to know how to navigate through there. Like, of course, the swamp. Why wouldn't we want to go through there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it ended up being like awesome. uh, the four or five hours we were out. Um, and he opted to bring his dogs with them for some for some reason. But uh, and they were pretty good. They're huskies. So they're like they're super, you know, hyper. But it, it added a little time. I think we went 14 clicks that whole trip, like through and around because you can't obviously go straight through a swamp right right you're right you got to find where you can actually walk it was interesting it was very interesting (laughs) stopping and then looking at the map and then um you know confirming with this garmin and stuff which i think that's another thing people rely on technology and like you all just check the gps versus 100 which i think people need to either rethink that whole process or find a faraday box or something because technology expires very very quickly like unless you have a way of yeah unless you have a way of sustaining the charge inside of those things to be functional and useful um it's gonna die eventually and then on top of that like we just experiencing the whole balloon incident with everybody and there's already been talk about like hey this has been a threat for years what happens if it has an Mm -hmm. emp load on it and now well there goes all your uh your cheap $30 $30 bow fangs and like hey, all hey, other hey. garments. <laughs> I, I like those cheap $30 bow fangs. I know they're, they're great for getting into comms and like learning how communication works and radio frequencies and everything. But at the same time, they're not very durable. No, they're really not. Um, which is, you know, and a lot of people are like, that's okay. I'll just buy another one. Like, well, which is great can. right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that's, you know, for anybody listening, like beware getting into comms is every bit as expensive as getting into oh any uh, type of firearms any, trade whatsoever. Like there's radios that I've seen that cost more than guns. Yeah. It's I mean, it may not blowing. be night vision expensive. In some instances it may. Uh some but of them are. like yeah, I mean, you're going to spend, uh, and that's what I'm like getting into now too, is trying to understand what functions do I really need and, mm-hmm. you know, what brands to look at and even used stuff. Like you're probably looking at $400, the head, then you get into headsets and push to talks. Like you're probably going to swing about 1500 bucks. Well, even when you start looking into other things too, like comms becomes very much a, a survival type of situation too, where it's, do you want to pay m- money for gear or knowledge because there's guys that can build radios from radio shack crap and they oh, can no. communicate to the other side of the world using garbage <laughs> yeah if you understand how the waves work exactly and you can and bounce off the, the atmosphere and stuff yep and it, it's all about the knowledge base sets as opposed to like well, this material is made out of this stuff. So if I use about this much measured at this length and then hook it up at these points, it becomes my antenna. 
Mm-hmm. And you're like, holy crap. Or I've seen guys like turn a tree into an antenna before, which was yeah. again a mind blowing experience. I was like, like what do you what is that you're doing there with that garbage in that tree? Yeah. I'm yeah, making it's like I'm making an antenna to reach miles right now as opposed to where you can maybe reach like a couple football fields, you know. So right. it's, and that's and that's the benefit of, of, you know, normal life is you can get away with the Bayofang today and like, oh, you know, me and my buddies are just practicing. Uh, I love that term squad based communication. And you're like, well, <clears throat> are you really? Because if you're using a Bayofang and you don't have a ham license, you're probably upsetting a few. Uh, Depending on what frequency you're on, there's going to be some people that are mad, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you're not using those, those frequencies, you, well, you probably should be go get the license. It's really not that hard. Um, yeah. you know, but you're also probably having Billy down the road. Who's on their little radio that he got for Christmas, hearing your entire conversations by accident. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a good chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the family radio service stuff isn't supposed to be able to get on those frequencies. Is it though? Some of them do. Um, I remember we were playing around with the Balfanks when they first came out and uh, we would drive around testing the range of uh, different antennas types and everything else like that. Really just, you know, trying to work the different problems, see what the limitations of the gear and equipment were. And uh, we were trying to have a conversation. We were just pretty close to a mile apart. And all of a sudden we start hearing another group's conversation. They're, they're probably like eight years old. I was like, oh, no. well, great. We uh, were using a frequency that these uh, household walkie-talkies are using. That's no good. <laughs> and it's these little kids that are just like playing around in their yard and we, we're hearing their whole conversation. We're like, we're going to have step frequencies, guys. Like, how do we communicate this to them and not freak these kids out? Yeah, you have to plan all that ahead, program your radios, you know, get yeah. your next and channel that, up and everything. Yeah. And that was us just testing it. We didn't think about it that far. We were like, we just want to see what the limitations are. Yeah. Well, cause you're not supposed to, and that exactly. you know, you're not supposed to have those channels cross over with each other. They um, do. Yeah, they do. And you need to be aware of that and it becomes ultra problematic when the, the idiot with the, the clamshell uh, Walmart radios can, you know, can clap you off because you don't have radio discipline. You don't understand how your radio works. And I fully say that as somebody who does not know nearly enough about that as I should. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not a comms guy. I just know other guys that are, that's what it comes yeah. down to. Well, it's, it's like everything else, you know, talking about like camouflage and, and things like that, yeah. you know, white light discipline. Uh, if you talk about night vision, like all, like it's all just disciplinary actions your radio can hurt you more than it can help you. If you know what you're doing, same thing with a white light, same thing with an IR laser. If you're under, you know, uh, under night vision. So having the contextual knowledge to apply to those pieces of gear. And that's, it's funny. Cause somebody, one of my buddies posted today, like, you know, why do people talk so much about skills being better than gear? Why can't we have, you know, both skills and gear? Like, well, Absolutely. Maybe. Please do. Because that yeah. just gives you the most advantage out of anything possible. But it's, yeah. but I think you take I, it out of context. I, I think what people are getting at is like, you can't buy skill with nice gear. And I think that, you know, it's, you can't. I mean, it's you just, can buy people focus on one thing or the other is what it typically goes to. Because I mean, if we, if we're honest about the culture inside of the U S we're a consumer nation, we are mm-hmm. dedicated our entire lives to working hard, earning money to buy other crap. And right? spending that's, all of it. Yeah. 
yeah, spend everything. And we, we don't want to learn things that we don't like. We don't want to have to do things that are difficult for us. We want to buy it and have the problem fixed right then and there. And yep. I think that's where a lot of the issues were happening inside of the 2A community for a long time too. It was like, well, one of these other companies is going to come up with an idea and they'll make something cooler next year and it's going to solve all these problems and I'll just spend thousands of dollars in order for them to fix it for me. Mm. Yeah, kind of like digital night vision addressing all the problems that we have with analog night vision, except not. Because they can do it cheaper. They're probably going to look at it and be like, well, hey, if they're paying three grand for a single tube, we could probably charge around 2500 for this digital tube that costs like 500 bucks. Like we'll still be yeah. cheaper and ultimately still maintaining that like barrier for entry. And it's kind of, yeah, kind of crummy. Like I get it if you have to do it for certain things, but like, shouldn't you just do it? Cause it's the right thing to do. Like charge a little bit less money, give people access to some things they might not normally have access to. No, that's not capitalism, dude. You got to make as much as you possibly can while you're, kicking and screaming and running your way through it i got no problem with anybody (laughs) making a living i just there's making a living there's making a comfortable living and then there's just straight up like fucking taking advantage of people and (laughs) ethics is something that i think is truly lost in a lot of society people are looking out for making the fast answers the fast money as fast as humanly possible yeah you know they they just want it right now. They're going to take advantage of anybody that they possibly can. And then screw it. We'll figure it out later. And if it runs out, we'll do it again. Well, and we see that we saw in the 2A space as well. You know, uh, yeah. less so, I think, in the last couple of years, I'll say that. But, it, you know, around the 2015, 2016 time when we, we were starting to get a bunch of guys coming out of the service and starting their own training companies and stuff, some people who really probably shouldn't have been teaching um you know and it's just like you seen know, a couple of those yeah, yeah as much money as you can off of people off of the flashy or sometimes it's just different hey we do this different than the next guy and we can we can market it as as different and beneficial so that it's like you know more 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 money um and, and I mean, that's one of the good things that came out of all the, the crisis and, you know, in, in 2020 was like, Hey, the days of charging $1,800 for a third, like a three day class with, and that you know, are, are long gone because, you know, and, and when you look at it, it's like, well, it's going to cost me $300 in gas to get down there. And then I'm going to have to spend another $800 where I'm staying. And then I'm going to have to spend, you know, 1200 bucks on all the ammo. Cause none of those classes were low round count. You need 3000 yeah. rounds of pistol, 3000 rounds of rifle. Plus you're paying the instructor or team of instructors, you know, 1800. So, okay. So I just dropped five grand, like for what I could have just paid for like some green phosphor binos. I, I just, I mean, and, and maybe it was good training. Hopefully it was. But there were a lot of those companies that were out there doing doing that. And their enrollment size was like 40, 45 people a class with two instructors. And you're like, how much time am I actually getting here for my money? You know, and yeah. and, 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 uh, and everyone's just in one big line. I'm like, I, you know, there's something to be said for small class sizes and, you know, knowing your limits. Like, hey, I know, like I teach high school musicians. I think about 15 kids is about my comfortable maximum, maybe, you know, 20, if we're all playing the same piece of music and stuff and it's well rehearsed. So you're just like, 
addressing little things here or there. But if you're actually like breaking things down fundamentally and you have to give them individual attention, like oh, yeah. five to it's, seven is, is they, there's a limit yeah. between both instructor and student, you know, and that, that was one of the biggest things that I really enjoyed about being a serious specialist is the, the focus on being an instructor and a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to convey that knowledge in a proper way that is actually retained by the individual so that they can utilize it when it's needed. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people do forget about like quality size because you can have quantity, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be good. You know, you can exactly. do good, but it doesn't mean you're going to have a lot. So it focusing on the ratios is a huge issue. Like, can you manage this amount? and make sure that everybody is being trained to a certain level. And I think that's one of the things, like you were saying, has become a huge thing inside of the training community is all the instructors are now, or they should, and they should have in the first place, look at the classes and go like, am I truly giving them the value that they just paid? Right. Well, and especially as a consumer too, you want to look at that and understand from an experience standpoint, especially if you're somebody, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't spend a lot of time outdoors. Maybe you're just very outside your comfort zone and you're taking a survival class, you know, with, with you guys or, you know, small unit tactics course, or I know like there's a week, a company out there offering like a week long survival, you know, third world country survival takeover type course thing. We spend all this money, you know, how many people are in that course? Are you really going to get the attention and, and for the, the help getting through this, not everyone's built the same, you know, I mean, some people may struggle yeah. with this. Are you really going to have, if there's 20 other people in the class, is that one instructor or those two instructors really going to be able to take you and when you're struggling and walk you through what needs to happen, or are you going to be kind of left to your, I mean, you can kind of infer, you know, I don't think any instructor is going to come out and say, oh no, you wouldn't have a good time at all because there won't be enough, you know, of us to go around. Right. No one's going to come but, out and say that. There. So for just, general ratios the way i've seen because we were teaching uh, at our school seer school um we would put through about four thousand students a year it was a lot that is a lot it was a heavy heavy load and we we would do a new class every single week would start and it was a massive amount of instructors the majority of the seer specialists around the world were stationed at that one base teaching these people that that was our sole purpose in life um but even then the most I ever had personally to my own little group of students was 12, like 12 was my limit. And I was moving and sprinting around circles of everybody to make sure everybody was getting evaluated appropriately. Like, Hey, how are you doing on your knots? How are you doing with your fire stuff? How are you doing with like your tool maintenance and all this other stuff? And not even to mention, like when you're looking at the survival aspect is how are they doing psychologically? Like where's yeah, where your head at? And like, how, how are you doing with this separation from society and culture and everybody that you've known and loved separation for from a yourself. long time? Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, how are you doing without TikTok right now? Like, I know you have a thing, but it's not here. So, yeah. And it, people would experience withdrawals. And that, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to with doing some of these survival classes again is like every time you bring people out of their comfort zones and force them to be by themselves and isolated and in a situation that is uncomfortable, everybody ends up experiencing a form of a spiritual awakening in a shape, way, or form. 
and they mm-hmm. start realizing things about themselves that they never knew. And they yeah. have to come to terms with it. And it happened literally every single class I ever taught. Somebody would go through those experiences, if not everybody, because I mean, a lot of people, they don't want to talk about it and they bottle it up and they put on the tough guy face and everything. But every single person goes through those experiences. Like you need to come to terms with who you are outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, how could you not go through? I mean, with we haven't even gotten into it, but people that have looked into it or you just like Google search, you know, seer training, see, read some of the things that go on. Like it's a gigantic and sudden shift from what, you know, your normal and accepted and practiced life is to that for, and that's just for a week, like let alone what if you had to do it for two weeks or longer, you know, I mean, that would really suck. That would like, that would really suck. If that shit didn't change you, there may be something, medically speaking, that wasn't yeah. like quite uh, right to begin with. Loose, yeah. See a professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it, it's one of those, like the major things. And like, even throughout all the training, the, the biggest thing that I always wanted to teach my students was that mental aspect, because I'm, we had to do all the research, all the case studies, read every scenario of like people going through huge traumatic experiences in their lives and then go through this huge ordeals in order to not die. And the odds were always stacked against them. And every single time they would make it through because of the pure psychological will to survive. Like they just didn't have quit in their bones at any point in time. And they just found a way of making it happen regardless of the training or anything else like that. They had to find that portion of themselves that says, not today. We're going to just keep breathing. We're going to keep pumping blood. We're going to keep moving. Well, and it's something we lack. I think, you know, whether you want us like just as Americans or maybe even to some degree society today. I mean, look at even outside of that context, look at the number of people that commit at the beginning of every calendar year, new year, new me. And they go and they start going to the gym, you know, and they make yeah. it, they make it, you know, Hey, I'm going to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I'm going to go, you know, for at least an hour, or I'm going to go for two hours. And after two weeks of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they get to the end of it and they take, well, man, you know, these Twinkies and donuts look real yes. good. I think I'll eat a ton yeah. of ice cream for uh, dessert today, too. Ah. Well, you know, I mean, like this might be like a, a secret. Maybe I'm not supposed to say this out loud, but you can actually eat those things if you go to the gym more. You know? I mean, and honestly, and it's weird. It's, it's almost like this self-feeding thing where you go to the gym, you start feeling better. And then if you start adjusting your eating a little bit, you feel even better. And then when you do have that half pint of ice cream, I know this because I did it this weekend while I was watching the Pro I Bowl, do. you start to feel like shit and then you don't want it <laughs> anymore. And then it's like, okay, you know, mistakes were made. That ice cream was good. Not doing that for a while, for sure. You know, and, and it's like, you get down this road of feeling better and living better and but people don't have the mental strength to even make it through. Cause that's a lot. Of, that's, I mean, no one's saying you gotta go to the gym, right. And like, you gotta run five miles today. It's like, you yeah. know what, make it a mile today. And people will, time. Yeah. And people will make it halfway through. And instead of just being, you know, finding that mental toughness, finding that whatever that motivating, maybe somebody called you fat and you didn't like it, or there's somebody that you really idolize. You want to be whatever your mental thing is, that's going to give you that, extra to get through it people don't have it it's just easier to walk away and because you have that option 
you know, you you can just go, I'm going to go home now and I'm going to sit down and Mac and cheese sounds amazing until, yeah, until you don't. And you just got to sit there and you got to deal with it. And then you got to like come to terms with it and okay, we're good. Now we're going to move on. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy seeing like all those death defying situations. And then I, I still vividly remember a story that we researched, uh, took place up in Canada, airplane pilot crashed in the middle of this giant body of water. Um, and he started swimming to shore from the aircraft. He was the only one that survived the actual crash and he starts swimming. He can see the shore and he's getting tired. And they already had like uh, search and rescue assets like on the way to go and recover them and everything else like that, uh, which is why we know how the story took place and everything because they were monitoring his situation. Even though they couldn't communicate with him, they were still watching it. And he gets about halfway through the lake and he stops, treads water for about a minute and then swims back to the airplane. And when uh, the rescue uh, forces show up to recover him, He's sitting in the cockpit with a cigarette lit in his mouth and he blew his brains out. Oh shit. He gave up halfway through when just on the other side, he already had rescue on their way to pick him up, but he was too tired and mentally didn't want to push through the second half even though he swam the exact same distance all the way back to the hell or to his plane crash. And he just gave up halfway. Yeah. Did he all, did the, all work. the work, yeah. did all the work that he would have had to do in order to make it out alive. But instead decided I can't do it and mentally quit and went back and killed himself. That is, that's kind of awful. And it's at the absolutely time, terrible, but it should be inspiring to everybody of going like, you can do more than you think you can. Yeah. Don't be a quitter. Yeah. I mean, just, and it, it doesn't mean you have to be the guy that, that has to, you, have, you don't have to try that tomorrow. Right. But start, right. you know, like take some steps. I mean, I don't think anything in this space is easily achieved overnight. You yeah. know, it takes like, a lot of time and practice in like regards to all the disciplines out there, whether it's like firearms, survival, comms, all that stuff. It's a lot of education. It's a lot for your brain to absorb. And you will hit the point of what we call uh, the point of diminishing returns. It's that level of your synapses are overwhelmed with information. You've had that fire hose just hitting you the entire oh, yeah. time. You can't absorb anymore. You can't process everything that's coming at you. And you do need rest. Like you need to let all of that absorb into you and settle so that you can actually retain it. Otherwise, the next time more information gets put on blast and you start trying to receive again, you're blowing out more of the that knowledge that you just had. So yeah. it it's a level and quantities that has to be paced out throughout time. And there's, there's actually a really good book called the uh, building shooters by Dustin Solomon that talks about the neuroscience piece behind that. And mm-hmm. what people commonly refer to as like information overload. And it's just that you, you can't, your brain can't build and continue to build and strengthen those neuro connections. You have to like, stop, give yourself some time. And that's why after stopping and, and not doing it for a while, people will come back I mean, not stopping for like six weeks, right? But we'll come back and then they'll actually be better at it just because Mm -hmm. they've had time for their brain to build those connections. 
um, which I, I wouldn't even get into that. This is a very fascinating thing if you're into that, that. And I would definitely recommend that book uh, to anybody who's interested in in learning more. But um, this has been fantastic, man. I I love this. This is great. Uh, <laughs> so if, if people want to get further into some of this stuff, if they want to yeah. learn more about this, where can they find you and what and what you're doing? So our uh, website for the company that we run is liveagonic.com, L-I-V-E-A-G-O-N-I-C.com. And that's where we're putting a lot of the products that we have. Um, I'm also running the the Instagram page that we have, which is agonic LLC, or the whole at sign, A-G-O-N-I-C L-L-C. Um, and then if they're wanting classes on some of the survival stuff, uh, Agonic is actually going to be working with Bear Solutions, go figures, because like we're good friends and work together there. And he also owns the company partially, you know, oh, yeah. so yeah, weird. Um, so we'll also be doing all the survival classes, uh, through Agonic and Bear as a collaboration effect. So, uh, kind of focusing bear solutions, more firearms training and agonics could be more of the survival based stuff, but we'll be having all those classes together through uh, bear solutions website is where they can schedule for those. And right now we just have the, uh, the urban survival class, which we've only scheduled for once a year in October. Um, mm-hmm. The last two years it's been sold out. I don't know what it's looking like right now, um, but track where record looks pretty pretty solid so far um and then we've also been scouting out some locations for future bushcraft and navigational lessons as well which hopefully we'll have up here i say shortly because i don't want to give a specific time frame because i can't guarantee anything and every right. time i do that it's right. like you're a liar it's like man life happens like i'm trying schedules man. conflict we're trying to do the best we can right, right? but it, they'll be coming out eventually because i want to get out and just keep doing it you know so yeah now that the, now that we, I think the house put up a bill or something to repeal the state of emergency and life can officially, officially, governmentally speaking, go back to quote normal, not the new yeah. normal, old normal. Yeah. It, I think it's one of those things like, I just wanted to get out there and there's a huge benefit to getting in, keep teaching those things because while we teach, we also are learning, you know, not just yeah. on our own, but from our students. And it's, it's a constant process and still have that thirst to kind of get more of it, you know, definitely. But yeah, man, this was, this has been great. Um, I've learned a ton. Uh, I really just enjoyed the conversation. I mean, you understood all my movie references, which is always an added plus, you know, uh, I always dig that. Um, and hopefully we can get you, you know, back on in the future. I know that there's so much we didn't sure. even, we didn't. Oh, yeah. get into, We barely you know, skimmed uh, the surface, man. Yeah. Um, so th- this has been really cool. Um, I-, I appreciate the hell out of it and uh, look forward to being able to do it again, man. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Stay safe out there. Clearly a very fun discussion. Uh, I-, I really enjoyed talking to Mitch, uh, you know, high energy guy, uh, very passionate about, about what he does and what he knows and everything. And I think that, you know, the survival piece, the, the, I guess if you want to rope into that whole seer piece, it's not really the same thing, but those are skills that I think people need to focus more on. And I will gladly lump myself in when I say people, you know, and, and it's cool to see that bears offering a urban survival class, because like I said, in, in our discussion, you know, 
I think it's something like 70 or 80% of the world's population. We live in densely populated suburban areas. So having those skill sets and really training on those and defining those and defining the fallback skill sets is super, super important, especially as we, we become a little bit more dependent, you know, on technology as a society, having those analog skills, so to speak, right? Super, super important. But, but I cannot overstate, uh, you know, how much fun I had talking with Mitch. I'm going to be looking to bring him back on in the future. And he just joins, you know, the list of the ever growing list of just like super cool people that I get to connect with, with this podcast, talking about all kinds of fun stuff, hearing just amazing stories and, and, and creating these friendships and things. And, you know, we even got to talking, you know, offline after we recorded, both of us have music backgrounds, which is just outstanding when you see more people that are kind of sharing a similar lifestyle that have, you know, similar life experiences to you in a completely unrelated way. Uh, always neat when that happens. You, you can never really tell about people, you know, by looking. Um, but, but you know, a surprise and, and certainly something that was cool to, to sit down and talk about for a little bit when we were done. So I hope you guys really enjoyed the conversation. I, I did. I really, really did. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Hopefully you guys learned some stuff. We hit on a ton in there. I'm sure at least one of those topics that we got to, whether it was camouflage, whether it was hearing about a gonic, you talk about, you know, mental strength and things like that. Any of those things, right. Or all of those things I'm sure for you guys listening are on your list that you need to know more about, want to know more about, or want to hear more about. And that's our goal here, right. Is to continue to bring content, information, discussions, guests that you guys want to hear from that are going to help you learn with us. That's our goal here at Prepared Mindset is to help share the educational journey and super excited to do it as we break on into 2023 here. Last reminder, we have a Patreon page. If you guys want more access, more information, we do have some Patreon-specific episodes there. You know, just more information. Head over to patreon.com forward slash prepared underscore mindset underscore pod. Access to things like dry fire practice targets, blogs, videos, exclusive episode interviews, things like that. All kinds of good stuff going on there. We got a $1, a $3, and a $5 tier. Every bit of that comes back and helps support the mission here. Love your guys' support, and thank you so much for listening today. This was an absolute blast to record this one. Cannot wait until next week. Got another great guest lined up. But until then, you guys get out there, work hard, train smarter, and like we always say here, be prepared. Be prepared.